This is a recording of a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. All right, you guys ready? All right, you got a Bible? You got a Bible? Turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we have one in the back for you for free. So just make sure you grab one tonight as you leave. Um, Or for right now, you can download an app or there's going to be some scriptures on the screen. Uh, but the reason why we want to study the Bible is I'm not that smart, um, and you may think I'm being like humble. I'm just true. Uh, all my sermons I stole from the Bible, so if you like what I teach, that's my secret. Um, but the idea tonight is that we're going to take a look at um, one of, not that one scripture is more important than the others, but maybe one of the most prominent uh, pieces of scripture that we are known. This, this, is, this piece of scripture has shaped um, not just Christians, but um, even people like Gandhi would refer to this passage as something that would shape his life. Um, Mennonites and Amish use these chapters to shape their views. So it's interesting that this, these three chapters we're going to be studying is a collection of teachings that Jesus had that have become to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. And again, the longest collection of teachings of Jesus we have, and also some of the most provocative and hard and misinterpreted uh, teachings that have ever been given. And so our job, humbly, is to approach these three chapters over the next few weeks and to begin to start saying, why was this so important to Jesus? And to let it to, to change us, to shape us, uh, because if we can grasp this, uh, no matter if you're like, I think I'm just starting to follow Jesus, I'm new to church, or whether you're like, I've been to church for like, you know, 100 years, you cannot read the Sermon on the Mount and not be different. It changes you at, at a core level if you let it. And so tonight we are starting a new series called The Art of Human Flourishing, and in order to dive into this series, we have to understand one concept, and that concept is called the kingdom of God. And the reason why the kingdom of God is important is because that is the topic of the entire sermon. And for us, it's kind of, it's a, it's a foreign concept because we don't have kingdoms, right? We live in a democracy. We live uh, very far removed from, from a monarchy. But in this day and age, that the word was actually very, um, it was very normal and contextualized for them because they lived in a kingdom, and that kingdom was under the power of Rome. They lived in a Roman kingdom. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, the thing he talks about more than anything else, more than love, more than money, more than sin, more than anything else, is this thing called the kingdom. And this message of the kingdom is actually this kingdom is coming against the kingdoms you think you know, and it's not just coming someday, it's here right now. Uh, can I get my mic turned down just a, a smidge? Sorry, I feel like I'm going to scare someone if I, if I start getting up there. Um, so he comes... And so he comes in the scene, and he starts talking about the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if you were the original audience, which would have probably been Jewish, Palestinian people, right, probably a couple thousand years ago are hearing this, their understanding of the kingdom isn't just the Roman kingdom, because the words kingdom were in the very beginning of the scriptures. You see, when God created humanity, 
He created them and he gave the very first thing he said is, I will give you dominion over creation. That's kingdom words, right? Because kingdom just means king's domain. It's where the king has rulership. And so he gives humanity, right, the climax, the crescendo of all his creations. He creates people and he says, you have power. You are to be kings and queens in this place to rule. And we have obviously taken that and have done horrible things and beautiful things with it. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, he begins to start talking about this kingdom. And he says, this kingdom is here and it's right now. But then he begins to start saying, this kingdom, and he starts saying, this is how you are to live within that kingdom, which is the Sermon on the Mount. How are you supposed to live in the kingdom of God? And so we've called this the art of human flourishing. And this is, and this is why. Because Jesus is an artist, has anyone uh, ever been to an, uh, an art museum? <laughs> if you went to Easter, yes, you did. Uh, my favorite art museum of all time I've ever been to is called the Getty. Has anyone been to the Getty before? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, some, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's incredible. Right? It's just north of Santa Monica. You park and you take this tram up away from the parking lot. It's like you're in a different world. And it's not just the paintings and the sculptures. The architecture is art. There's gardens that have been beautifully and intricately laid out. So everywhere you walk, the scents, the smells, it's just beauty everywhere. And I went there the first time, and I looked and listened and realized that there was Vincent van Gogh paintings there at the Getty. And he's my favorite artist. And so I was like, I, I went through all of the other rooms trying to look, and I finally showed up. And I was looking at an original piece of art from Vincent van Gogh. And I'm mesmerized. And next to me, there's a tour guide with a little group of people, you know, with their headphones, and I can hear him talking. And he starts talking, and he starts being like, when Van Gogh painted this, this was the emotions he was feeling, and this is what he was trying to get as he created these flowers, as he looked from his window in the insane asylum, as he looked at these, and he's talking about all these things. And it's really interesting and intriguing, but I wonder if any of it was, like, true, <laughs> I'm like, if Vincent Van Gogh showed up, right, with one ear, just like, just a normal guy at the Getty, you know, and started listening to someone say, this is what Vincent Van Gogh meant, how he felt, what he was desiring in his painting, I wonder if he would have been like, spot on, well done, that's exactly what I was thinking. Or would he be like, that's not even anywhere close. And the reality is we don't know, but you know what's amazing about the Sermon on the Mount? is the artist showed up amongst his art. And he starts saying, this was my intent. This was what I had in mind when I created humanity. It's powerful. Because everyone during that day, every rabbi, every philosopher, I mean, these are during the greatest Greek philosophers and the greatest Hebrew rabbis were all trying to say, this is the meaning of life. This is what humanity was meant to do. And then the person who created human life shows up and says, no, this is what humanity looks like. This is the art of human flourishing. And he gives this great manifesto called the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it means to be human in my kingdom. I love, I love this passage. Matt Chandler summarizes the Sermon on the Mount. He's a pastor in Texas, and I love how he talks about the Sermon on the Mount. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It says this, 
The goal of the Sermon on the Mount is to move from external conformity to internal transformation. So the goal of the Sermon on the Mount is to move from external conformity to internal transformation. Now, this is huge because he's teaching an audience that praises external conformity, praises performance. And the reason they do that is because they are people who have been enslaved for over 700 years. And the reason they believe they've been enslaved for 700 years is because they have not obeyed the laws of God. So out of that anger and that angst and that brokenness came this group of people that we know now as the Pharisees. And their job was, if we can get everyone to live by the law and not break any of the rules, then we can regain God's blessing. And so they began to teach and to, and to have jurisdiction and to rule over the Hebrew people, saying, this is how you are to live. This is what it means to be human. This is how we will get God's blessing. And then Jesus shows up Right at them, as, and as their message is, you have to conform to the external appearances. You have to conform to the laws given. And Jesus shows up and gives a message that it's not about external conformity. It's about internal transformation. This, as the artist, this was my intent. This is why I gave the laws. It was not for you to perform. It was not for you to do the do's and the don'ts and for you to be a moral person. It was for you to be transformed. And he just goes for the throat of performancism, goes for the throat of religiosity, and he says, no, 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 I want something more. In order for humanity to flourish, I need a different, a different type of kingdom to be embraced. And this is where we find ourselves. So we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5. If again, if you're turning there, and before we do, I'm just going to go ahead and pray, because again, we're entering into... Some, some of the most powerful words that could change us if we let them. But let's just stop for a moment. Let's just pray. So, Father, I thank you so much that you gave us this text, these words that Jesus gave that have shaped billions of people over thousands of years. Lord, I pray that Light Church would be a community of people who don't have it all together but submit to and are transformed by these teachings, these words. Lord, I pray that today you would move us from external conformity. You'd move us from doing the right things or performing our best. And would you move us to internal transformation? Our hearts would change. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, and blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
So let's, let's imagine this, right? Jesus, this new rabbi shows up on the scene and there's crowds gathered around. He says he sees the crowds and he goes and removes himself from the crowds up onto this mountainside, this hill. And he begins to start teaching his disciples. This is important. This is for people who follow Jesus. Now, I'm sure the crowds came and they gathered and things like that, but collect, the collection he's talking to are a kind of this misfit, ragtag group of men, of fishermen and zealots and tax collectors. I mean, you could not pick a more extreme, opposite, strange group of people to begin to start telling this message to. So he sits down on this hillside and begins to proclaim this thing, and he starts to say that, and he pronounces this word. He says, makarios. Makarios is, is the, the Greek word and the Hebrew word for blessing. Blessing. Now, that's a, it's a familiar term. It's a salutation. It's a word of celebration. So when you have a baby, makarios. And when you get engaged, makarios. And, you know, you can say it in jest too. And that person gets like the, the thing you really want. And you're like, makarios, you know, good for you. <laughs> And, and so there's this, this term that's very familiar, it's very deep and rich in Jewish culture. And the word blessing, this word makarios, means God is on your side. God's hand is upon you, makarios, yes. And so he intros this thing, and he starts saying makarios, in my kingdom, these are the blessed ones. And then he proceeds to give a list of people you would never say are blessed. Now, the problem is, if you're like me, I've read this most of my life, and I've probably even preached on this as a list of kind of moral achievements. These, these are things we should be. We should be poor in spirit. We should, we should mourn the, the sin of the world. We should be. That's not what Jesus is trying to do. Out of the gate, he does not give us a list of things to do and don't. What he says is, if you are one of these, I'm on your side. The kingdom of God is coming for you. Makarios, you are the blessed ones. No one in their right mind would ever say these people are blessed. Who says makarios to someone who's mourning? And Jesus makes this bold statement. Out of the gate, says, my kingdom is for the people you never thought would ever enter it. And he goes and goes and walks down this list. I love it. It's so, it's so provocative and scandalous. And you can imagine his disciples squirming like, what, these people are the ones your kingdom is coming for? And he oh, says, it's the poor in spirit. Now, again, we might think like, oh, we should all be poor in spirit. No, no, no. Dallas Willard translates this. These are the spiritual zeros. Think of the person you would never expect to walk into a church. The very first person that Jesus says, I'm for them, my hand is on them, is that person. I mean, I imagine a club on a Saturday night, the person who's too hungover to even get out of bed, Jesus would say, I'm for them. The atheist that is snarling and angry at God, God would say, I'm for them. Spiritual zeros, they're invited. Makarios, blessings upon them. He moves on and says, those who mourn. You can imagine, again, this is so backwards. Why would you say makarios to someone who's mourning, grieving? 
the meek. And again, this is where people start like, well, we should all be meek. No, no, no. In that day and age, that, the best translation for that is not power under restraint. It's not humility. That word really means oppressed. In bondage, weak, no power whatsoever. Makarios, blessings. The fourth one is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You're like, well, that's a good thing, right? Maybe, depending on how you look at it. But what he's saying right here is Jewish people, righteousness meant one thing. Right relationship. Right relationship with God and with people. So those who are hungry and thirsty for it must mean people that don't have it. It's the people who are starving for right relationship with God. Those who are starving for right relationship with people, the people who are the black sheep of the family, the one that no one talks to, the one who's just coming out of a divorce, the person who just is so broken relationally, whether it's people or God, makarios, blessing. Merciful, and yes, mercy is a trait we can desire, but in this context, He's talking to a people that are deeply oppressed by a Roman rule, and he's talking about a kingdom coming. And they're probably thinking, strength and power, let's defeat them. He says, Makarios to those who show mercy. Mercy is not a value on the Navy SEALs list, right? When you're talking about military, mercy is not something you're like, yeah, let's all be merciful. No, no, no. And for his disciples, this is what they're talking about. Like, it's go time. We're bringing a new kingdom. And God says, no, 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 makarios, blessings to those who have mercy. The pure in heart. This doesn't also mean the, the, the naive, the perfectionist, someone who is misled with their understanding of the world because of their purity of heart. The peacemakers, again, in, the, in a military context, not what you want to hear. Right, you want the haymakers. You want the people who are going to do work for this new kingdom. And he says, no, no, it's the peacemakers. And then the last one he talks about is the persecuted. Right? The persecuted. I, I remember sitting having dinner one time when I was a kid, and a missionary came over and from Nepal. And he showed me his feet. His feet were so deformed because he was tortured for being a Christian. They would beat his feet. Makarios, blessing. So at this point, you can imagine the disciples being like, not what I was thinking. Not what the idea of my kingdom coming was about. This is not my idea of human flourishing. See, their idea of human flourishing probably sounded something more like this. There is a, a Hebrew a writer named Ben Sirach is actually in the Catholic Bible, and he wrote a list of Beatitudes as well. Beatitudes just is Latin for blessings. He wrote a list of blessings that sound a little bit more like what we would expect to hear blessed. This is what he says. I can think of nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth my tongue proclaims. A man who can rejoice in his children, right? A guy who has well-behaved children. A man who lives to see the downfall of his foes, obviously. Blessed is the man who lives with a sensible wife. I get that. All right? And the one who does not plow with an ox and an ass together. Can we say amen? Right? 
Blessed is the one who does not sin with his tongue, right? He's well spoken. And the one who, I love this, the one who has not served an inferior, right? You're in charge. Blessed, blessed is the one who's the boss. Blessed is the one who finds a friend and the one who speaks to an attentive listeners like yourselves. How great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. This is the beatitudes you would expect, right? Blessed are the people who have it together, who are killing it in business and have plentiful relationships and are going places. Their life is beautiful. They're the blessed ones. And Jesus shows up and he says, no, 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 no. In my kingdom, the blessed ones are the ones that the world has forgotten. The religious leaders have forgotten. I'm coming for them. They're the ones I'm inviting into my kingdom. Dallas Willard says this, draw any sort of cultural or social line you wish and God will find his way beyond it. I love that because that's what's happening right here. Jesus is taking every single cultural and social line that they would say they're blessed and they're not and he just says, I'm going beyond that. I love, I've sat with so many of my Christian friends who are so convinced that God is not a Republican. And I sit with so many of my Christian friends who are so convinced that God is not a Democrat and how could people think that Jesus is for them? I've sat with people and talking about like the, the angst between the church and the, and, and, and the gay rights movement and where that's, and, and I, I have watched the church draw lines. The Sermon on the Mount washes those lines away. It says, my kingdom is coming for everyone. The person you think it could never come to, it's coming for them. And if that doesn't make you unsettled, then you're probably not very self-aware. Because every one of us have people in our minds, if we're honest with ourselves, that we think, okay, they've got it together and they don't. For Jesus to show up and say, no, 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 I'm here for them. Every single thing, person you think could never be invited into God's kingdom, I'm coming for them. Makarios to them. So what do we do with that? How do we move on as a community? How do we let these words shape us as, 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 a, as a group of people calling ourselves a church? What does this mean for us? Well, three things, three kind of application points today. I think these are going to be up on your screen. Number one, there is blessing to the unimaginable. Number two, there's blessing in the unbearable. And thirdly, there's blessing coming to the inconsolable. That's what the Sermon on the Mount begins with. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. So let's just talk about this first one. There's blessing, right? There's Makarios coming to the unimaginable. Um, last week, I was getting together with our team, and we were at Na Pizza, which is an amazing pizza place. You have to try it down here in Coast Highway. And I love it. Every other week, we get together, and we break bread, and we talk and laugh and dream. And I was looking forward to it. And, and right as we're about to sit down, there's a, there's a lady uh, who's sitting outside and just says, I'm, just, just says, I'm hungry. So, you know, like, like the good pastor I am, just walk outside, and I'm, I'm like, hey, you know, like, I, I see that you're hungry. Can I get you a slice of pizza? And she's like, 
that would be so great. I'm so hungry. Can it be gluten-free with black olives? I kid you not. <laughs> and she gives me a list. I literally, I'm like, I have to write this down. And so I like, wrote down her order. It was so long. And I went inside, ordered her, her really bougie, like, you know, slice of pizza and brought her to her, thinking, like, that was it, right? And so I, I'm like, here's your pizza. And then she just starts talking and talking. And I just realized, I'm like, oh, man, I'm trapped. You guys know those conversations? Don't, don't sit there silently. You know what I'm talking about. And so it turns out her name is, is, is Bobby, Barbara, but she goes by Bobby. And she looks at me, and the whole time I'm just thinking, I've got to get back in there with my team. I don't want to waste their time. And she's like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a painter. <laughs> I said, and I said I'm like, well, I do a couple things. Like, my wife and I do music. Um, I said, I'm, a, I'm also a pastor down the street. And she's like, miracle. <laughs> I was like, startled. I was like, what? She's like, I was praying this morning, and God told me I'm going to be the sound technician in heaven. And you're a musical pastor. And I was like, okay, this got weird. And, <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, now I really got to go. But, but, but then she starts talking. Can I tell you something? She spends the next 10 minutes talking about an intimate relationship with God I could only envy. And here is this homeless lady about to hop on a train to go tell Stevie Nicks about Jesus. But she took time in her day to absolutely reveal to me the kingdom of God. I was blown away. I walked in that room. I was like, wow, I could only dream have that sort of intimate relationship with Jesus. You see, the kingdom of God is coming for the unimaginable. The people you never thought the kingdom of God would come to is there. We have to look for it, to find it, to see it. The second thing is we have to understand that there's a blessing in the unbearable. This list is heavy. This list is people who are mourning and broken. And somehow when Jesus writes this, this is important for you to know, when he writes the the eight blessings, the eight beatitudes, he sandwiches them. So the first one and the last one talking about the kingdom of heaven is here, present tense. The middle six, stick with me, are future tense will be comforted, will be fed. And this is a perfect example of what theologians call the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. It is present and it's going to come. It's not one or the other. Because if it's just coming, you're just waiting to evacuate. And if it's fully here, then you're just insensitive and unaware. But it's this weird tension where the kingdom of heaven is is here, not fully, and we're waiting for the fulfillment of it. It's both now and not yet. And so we get this list of these people who are severely in pain, right? They're spiritually impoverished. They're mourning. They're weak and oppressed. And Jesus comes and it says, the kingdom of heaven is for you and it's going to come. But it's important for us to recognize that blessing is not just waiting for us after we die, that there is a blessing that can be felt right now in the midst of pain. 
Now, don't hear me. Seeing blessing in the midst of pain does not dismiss pain. It does not dismiss grief, and it doesn't hurry it up. But what it does is it lets you know God's present with you in it. In October, many of you guys know this, but my niece Ruby passed away, and um, Zach and Tiffany and our whole family, it just has knocked the wind out of us. Man, last week was like a hard week for me. And there's these moments where I'm like, God, I don't understand this. I don't, I just want the pain to end. I just don't want this to continue. I don't want to watch Zach and Tiffany hurt as much as they do. I miss my niece. And in the midst of pain, there are moments where God just shows up. And he just shows these little moments of blessing. Um, a month or two ago, a friend of ours gifted our family a trip to Disneyland. So we invited Zach and Tiffany and the kids. And like, would you come to Disneyland with us? And they were thankful, but they're like, it's, that's really hard for us to do because we used to always go, we used to, always go to Disneyland with Ruby. And she's, because she was, had cerebral palsy, she's in a wheelchair, she was treated like a queen. She had to go to all the front of the rides, and it was such a beautiful place for her. Um, and, they did, and so they really fought if they, if, they were, if they were ready for that, and they decided, okay, we're going to go. But we get to the entrance of the park, and you can just tell it's just like our hearts are so heavy. Like, it's not the same. And, and if, you, if you know anything about our family, about Ruby, since she was born, her nickname is Ladybug. And um, when she was adopted from Taiwan, even in the orphanage, that was her name was Ladybug. And we get to the entrance of, the, of Disneyland, right? And it's just, we're excited, but the same, we just kind of get overcome by this somberness and this grief. And I kid you not, as we're talking, this Ladybug flies and lands on Lily, her five-year-old daughter's shoulder, and just sits there. And Tiffany bursts into tears. She's like, who did this? And we're like, no one. And for the next 10 minutes, this ladybug literally transfers to each one of us and just sits on us. And as we're like walking into Disneyland, it was like this moment, and you can be like, well, that's a great coincidence. But for, for us, it wasn't. <laughs> For us, it was the Lord just, just having this little moment of blessing. It didn't take the pain away. It didn't make it, you know, it didn't hurry it up. But it was this moment where it was like the kingdom of God, like heaven just showed up for a moment. And it was a blessing in the midst of pain. And as a community, number one, my prayer is that if, you, if, if you're on this list, you're like, I feel like one of these people. My prayer is that in the midst of your pain, grief, sorrow, doubt, oppression, you would sense the blessing of the Lord. And you'd hold on to those moments. And my second wish is this, that we as a community would be agents of God's blessing for those who are mourning and are in grief and are oppressed and in darkness. That we might not be able to take away the pain, but we might be able to give a hug or a gift or prayer, watch someone's kids, just do something to say, I'm going to be a part of heaven coming to that person in the midst of their pain.
Thank you guys for letting me be vulnerable. The, the third thing that we can walk away with tonight is, and this is so hopeful, that there is blessing coming to the inconsolable. There is blessing that's going to come for, for those who are like, the pain's too great, it doesn't matter, I just, I can't see beyond my, my hand, I can't feel anything. It's important for us to be reminded tonight that Jesus not only promises that there's blessing now, but he understands that there are things now that are inconsolable, but there is blessing to come. There is a day coming. I love how the, the Jesus Storybook Bible says it, that all the sad things will become untrue, that everything that we've been wearing and carrying in our hearts will be lifted and our hearts will be restored. I love how Paul says it in his letter to the Corinthians. And, and um, Ashley, Jen, the worship team, you guys can come up. And he says this to a church who's deeply in pain. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Maybe that's the only thing you need to hear tonight from my, from my message is that don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love these words. They're so powerful. If you... If you can, just write this down in your notes somewhere. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. It's such a comforting verse. What Paul says is the pain and the affliction of right now is achieving something. It's purposeful. It's gaining something. And what he says is it's preparing us for a weight of glory that we'll have for eternity. I love that verse because what I imagine is this. The people, because you know those people in life and you feel like they never get a break? Man, it's like, come on, Lord. Let them have an easy year. Let them have something go right for them. I believe that those people who all, the hand they've been dealt in life is just so full of pain, that God sees it. And it says, all that pain you're feeling is like preparing your spiritual muscles for the glory you're going to have for all of eternity. Would you hold on to that tonight? I don't want to make light of your pain. I don't want to make light of your doubt and your confusion and your, and your grief. But what I want to say is, in your pain, in your hurt, God sees it and he's promising that that will not be wasted. And he will restore to you glory, not just for a moment, but forever. It's yours but you don't have to just wait. He wants to meet you here tonight. He wants you to experience blessing in the midst of those seasons and those spaces of your life. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a time of communion. There's bread and a cup, and this is something we do every week, and this reminds us that 
This is not a list of performance. This is not a blessing for those who have it all together. What this is is an invitation to those of us who need something that we cannot get ourselves. If you're hurting, would you come and receive wholeness? If you're depressed, would you come and receive hope? If you have broken relationship, would you come and receive the wholeness of Jesus? Just come and whatever you are lacking, come and let Jesus fill that space. And as we do that, we're going to sing the song of coming, those who are weary and thirsty, to a table that we get to receive from. And then just a minute, we'll, we'll pray and close up. But let's just have a minute where we can come to the table and receive a blessing now in the midst of whatever is going on.